Welcome back, my friends, to the D-Rated Hate Podcast. I am Wilt from Wiltsworld.com, and this is going to be episode 65. In this week's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Patty Robinson, founder and CEO of the nonprofit organization Project Delta that selects, trains, and places rescue dogs with veterans suffering from things like PTSD and, and various other things that they've suffered on the battlefield. Very cool organization, and, and I love getting the opportunity to talk with people like Patty who are out there bettering the world. That is what the Derate the Hate podcast is all about. We did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. So what have you done today to make your life a better life? What have you done today to make the world a better place? Patty Robinson and the folks over at Project Delta are doing just that doing great things to make the world a better place. I'm so glad my cousin and her boyfriend, Dee, from Order of Ronin Motorcycle Club, who have a charity ride coming up for Project Delta here in a couple weeks here in the state of Minnesota. And I'm very glad that I got an opportunity to meet Patty. You're definitely going to want to check out this interview because we get the chance to talk a little bit more, find out more about Project Delta and how that works. And then, of course, get to find out about the upcoming event on July 24th out of Lakeville, Harley-Davidson, here in the state of Minnesota. So stick around. You don't want to miss it. All right. Patty Robinson from Project Delta. Thank you for joining the D-Rate Day podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Patty. So we became introduced by my cousin and her friend Dee from Order of the Ronin Motorcycle Club. And they have an upcoming ride on uh, July 24th to benefit Project Delta. And they thought, you know, at the D-Rate the Hate podcast, I'm all about bettering the world. One attitude at a time. I'm always looking for people that are doing great things to better the world for for other people. And when I read about Project Delta and and the things that you've got going on over there, I thought I definitely want to talk to Patty. So I'm very glad that you're joining me today. And what I would like you to do is explain what Project Delta is for the people who may not know and and how you became involved with or how, how the the Project Delta organization came to came to be. Sure. So we are a service dog organization that utilizes primarily the rescue and shelter world of animals. We extensively screen them, then we pair them with veterans that have multiple diagnoses such as PTSD, traumatic brain injury, MST, which is military sexual trauma, along with um, physical disabilities. We pair those two together and they train as a team and become a service dog team. Um, We've just recently, um, by board approval, brought in our first uh, retired police officer and our first retired um, firefighter as well. That was always something that I wanted to do from the very beginning, but decided it was most important to kind of get a process down, to get a program outline down, get good at that niche, and then expand accordingly. Um, this all started back in, honestly, the first thought of it was back in 2014 when I was just very randomly introduced to the concept literally on a news station. And I couldn't even tell you it was an interview with another organization that was doing the same thing. 
I was involved in rescue and I was involved in shelters as a volunteer. And I knew that there was something unique and special about these dogs, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And I'll be honest, that particular organization down in New Mexico is what piqued my interest and got that, got me, you know, looking into that possibility. My husband is retired army and children in the military. My father was a World War II veteran. And so I saw some transitional holes when working as a wife and a mother um, on the backsides of the military. And I saw those, those holes. And when introduced to that concept from someone else that was doing it, I kind of went, okay, I think this is what my intention, I think this is what my mission needs to be. Um, I'm a nurse by trade and have been for over 30 some years. So I didn't even know what a 501c3 was. Yeah. So it's important to understand that when starting this, we're talking naive, zero idea. So it was completely grassroots, had, had no idea how to get this thing started. You just knew it was going to be your mission. It, it was your calling to do this because of the your family's background in the military. Yeah. And, and the love of the dog. Um, so totally grassroots, no idea, literally had to look up what a nonprofit versus a for-profit was literally didn't, I didn't, I didn't know the legalities behind it, the process behind it. Um, and how to even begin. So just dug in and I probably spent the first couple of years just learning how to do that before launching. So very cool. Yeah, truth be told, I that that particular organization in New Mexico offered me they afforded me the opportunity to come to a workshop and spend time with them to be able to see what they do. They wanted to do um, a program up here, so they wanted me to franchise off of them. Um, I was very lucky to have some incredible people that I worked with high up in the healthcare system that I work for. Um, actually, the, the the CEO of Park Nicollet Methodist Hospital at the at the time offered to meet with me. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty wonderful to be honest. And he basically told me, "Hey, listen, you can do this on your own. You can do right. this on your own, and franchising is not necessary." And he was very instrumental on kind of pushing me to do it. So. I stepped back from that process that probably would have given me a lot of intellectual property, but it also would have taken a really long time to get going sure, and sure. because of my financial obligations to them as a franchise. And I just mm-hmm. didn't want to do that. Okay. So talk about the process then, Patty, how, how does that work with, with taking a rescue dog? Cause I know, uh, you know, my wife and I rescued a, a, a dog recently, mm-hmm. you know, that, that came out of, of Texas. But talk about how you take the rescue dog and turn that into a companion animal that is is really a service dog for somebody who is suffering. Because we know, I mean, we obviously know the, the uh, and, and I think everybody at this point has heard that, that there's a very real problem out there with the, the military veterans that are, are, are facing serious PTSD issues and and. and and how important it is these service animals are to the military veterans. And, and now, as you said, you know, getting into the first responders and the police and the firefighters, talk about that, talk about that process. How does, how does that work to take a rescue animal and, 
you know, the complete unknowns of a rescue and then take that rescue animal and turn it into a functional and, and, and adequate animal for a service companion for a, a military veteran or, or, or first responder. How's that work? So we have partnerships with a couple rescues in particular in the Twin Cities and being that we're starting, our name is out there and such, it's not uncommon for somebody to reach out, whether um, that, that they'll reach out that they think they have a dog that could potentially be one of these dogs. First and foremost, the dogs, um, the, the rescues that I work with have a, a general idea of what we're looking for in a dog. Um, we're looking for dogs that are very confident. We're looking for dogs that have drive. And what I mean by drive is they can be motivated by food. They can be motivated by toys. They can be motivated by praise, but they're also very dog neutral. Mm -hmm. And, um, so those are three of the, you know, the really big things we need drive. We need, um, neutrality and, um, just kind of an easygoing temperament. You can still take a really crazy dog and you can mold it into an amazing service animal if they have drive and they have desire to work. So that's really important. So when those dogs become available to us, we, um, I have an unbelievable trainer and bringing on another person. That's just an unbelievable trainer that has been doing this for a long time and recognizes these traits. So we just take them and evaluate them. And um, there, there's some rules that go with dogs that are in the rescue world. And it's called the rule of three. You take a dog in that setting and it takes about three dog, three days to bring a dog into a home setting and they go, okay, I can be here despite whatever my background is. And I'm cool with it. And then you have about three weeks into a dog being with someone for the dog to go, okay, I'm staying here and this, I'm not moving. And then it takes about three months for the true characteristics of the dog to come forward. And at that three month mark is when you have a general idea of what you're working with and what you're going to get. Um, you're that way we have it. And that's where we need fosters. And that's where the dogs are either in the foster world of the rescue, or we bring them into our own world and take them in. I've had dogs, my trainers have had dogs. We have a couple really amazing fosters, um, but they're different fosters. They're not just providing a home or and shelter and food and love these are dog these are people that are going to work with us to help us determine in a rather quick fashion whether or not it's a dog we want to stay in the program mm -hmm. that's not easy that is actually project delta's number one um issue that's our biggest obstacle is bringing people into this world that into this world that can make commitment to the dog and to the program. Um, it's not easy. It's a, it's a part-time job. Um, you also have to be able to keep those dogs kind of separated from your own dog. So it's a lot of work. So oh, anybody, imagine. yeah, anybody coming into that, you know, I've learned to be very transparent about it. That's our number one issue right there. Getting strong fosters that are looking to the mission. Mm -hmm. How can I help get to that part of the mission? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To be committed to that. Once that part um, occurs, you have the other side. You have the demographic that is um, where I vetted very closely a veteran that wants to come into the program. Because truth be told, everybody wants a service dog. 
Right. Everybody thinks that's a wonderful thing and will benefit them. Mm-hmm. Can do you need a service dog first and foremost? Mm-hmm. Or do you just want a service dog? Right, right. Get a diagnosis because I have to be truthful. This is not a pet. Right. No, this is a working yeah, I, a working I dog. And it's a working dog and and that that also provides a lot of love and security and, and support. However, when the day is done, the training and everything that goes into this is a working animal. So you have to look at it from the same standpoint as a search and rescue dog, a military working dog, a bomb sniffing dog, drug sniffing dog, all of these things, they are task trained. And that's where when you say companion, yes, but no. These are animals that are working with these human beings to mitigate diagnoses by performing tasks, but and but they're not, but they're also just they're chill and they're they're they have to be able to focus 100 percent on the human versus all the distractions in the world that the human's going to put them through. Right. So even though that veteran or first responder is going to go out into the public, the reality is, is that focus needs to be on the human. It can't be distracted by other humans. It can't be distracted by other dogs. Now, right. it is also a bridge between um, that's my big thing is I want the dogs to be a bridge between the veteran and the outside world by um, showing the veteran, or I, let's call him the handler, that social um, social graces are acceptable. That when people come up to you and they want to, they want to say, "Wow, you have a beautiful, well-behaved dog. Tell me about it." That they don't turn around and they're not an asshole to that human. Right. Say, don't talk to me. Don't talk to my dog. Mm-hmm. It's there's a balance there. Yep. Yep. I, th- I think we've all. Uh, I don't know about. I think we've all, but. I know I've seen a number in recent years. I've seen a number of of the dogs. They have the vest on. The dog is is healing very close to the leg of a uh, you know an obvious veteran or somebody who's somebody who's experienced trauma. I guess I can't say they're all veterans, but you know the the dog's got that vest on, and the vest clearly says, "I'm working. Don't touch me," or or you know some variation of that. And 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 I think that's very cool. And it is it's incredible to see the focus that those animals have, you know, I, I, I can't get my dog focused, you know, to, to focus, especially our new rescues. We call her crazy Daisy, but you know, it can't get her to focus on anything long enough to even, you know, get through a full sentence, let alone. So the, the work that must go into getting <laughs> these dogs trained for such a high level, uh, intense job has to be, has to be absolutely incredible. How long does it take just just the training aspect of it, Patty? How long does that take to get an animal on board with doing that job at a high level? So the animal is the easy part. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. The animal is easy. Any issues that you have with the animal, it that that can be turned around in a hot second. The issue is with the handler. Okay. So the reality is, that's why I said not everybody can do this. And if you need it, and it is recommended by your mental health provider, if you are committed to it, you can move along in this process extremely fast, nine months. Hmm. Okay. Or less. I have a team right now on board that'll probably finish in six months because that's how dedicated he is to the dog. 
And, mm-hmm. and I don't mean you have to put aside six, eight hours of your day to do this because the life of a dog in training, life is training. Mm-hmm. Anything in their world can be a training moment. So it's getting the handler to understand that life for their dog is a training moment. And so mm-hmm. that's why they're, I, 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 for lack of a, lack of better words, they're tethered for a very mm-hmm. long time. There's needs and wants of a dog. All needs of the dog are always by the handler. And they are literally leashed to them all at all times so that as they're doing things, they're going to look to the handlers or highest resource. We hand feed. Handlers hand feed through the day. So mm-hmm. whatever the total amount of food is that the dog is receiving is in training pouches for the handler. And as they're living life and doing their thing, they're receiving their food. They don't, they don't work. They don't get fed and they learn very quickly who the hot, who their resource is, the wants of a dog to be pet and things like that. Slowly you you can incorporate, you know, a husband, a wife, a child, but it always has to be that handler that the dog is going to look to for everything because you don't know at any given time when PTSD or a result of why they need the dog is going to rear its ugly head. Mm-hmm. So you need to have the dog focused on them, not in a, not in a anxiety provoking way, but in a sense that they can be laying quietly at a restaurant, but they can recognize what something's up mm-hmm. and they come to it. And that is their science behind that. It's not, it's repetition after repetition after repetition of training. However, there is science behind it with chemicals. Okay. Human beings produce chemicals that dogs sense and they smell and they hear. They, their senses are so incredibly more advanced than ours that they can actually sense our heart rates going up, our blood pressures going up, producing cortisol, spilling. That's a very big deal mm-hmm. for anybody that has trauma, that has. Um, the results of just being in everyday life, their their cortisol levels are way higher than the average person. So the dog recognizes that, and we train off of that. That's so incredible. Yeah, I mean, I so, know I've read I've read things now where there are dogs that are trained for people who have epileptic seizures. They can sense when a seizure is coming on, or yeah. you know, people with uh, you know different health conditions, seizures, yeah, heart attack. Yep. Yep. Diabetes is a big one. We actually have a dog. We have one, um, one of our dogs that is um, working with his handler who is um, very symptomatic with a blood sugar that you and I wouldn't normally, an average diabetic wouldn't be that symptomatic. So the Mm -hmm. training that going into this dog is to recognize that blood sugar significantly higher before he becomes symptomatic. And he's that's so incredible. It is. And he's being trained to recognize that and they smell the ketones. It's just, it's mind blowing what they do. So the dog is easy because Mm -hmm. you make fun and the reward is positive reinforcement with Mm -hmm. food, with praise, you know, with those things. So Mm -hmm. the dog is going to do what it needs to do. They, they want. It's almost just developing the tools that are already within the dog naturally. And and that that is, that is so cool. That is so incredible. 
dogs and that's where the drive comes into it. So you can, you know, you have drive and you have neutrality and, and you just have a nice balanced personality. It helps certain breeds are clearly better at it than others, but you know, you can't, you can't disqualify the potential in a dog just based on its breed. And um, so we have a full Staffshire Pitbull that is got a head that's like this. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing, amazing service dog. So I don't breed disqualify at all um, or discriminate rather. Um, But there's just clearly some that are, that are better at it than towards those yeah, I mean that's just to be expected. I mean, there's yep. there's certain animals, certain yep. um, it, it just just the way that it works, and exactly. So that's so cool. So tell me about how Project Delta and Order of Ronin kind of teamed up. How did how did you guys become familiar with each other? And then let's talk a little bit about the ride that's coming up out of uh, I think it's yes. Lakeville Harley Davidson on the 24th of July. So that'll be a week or two after this episode airs, but. But yeah, talk about them and how you guys became familiar with each other. I tell you, bikers love veterans. Veterans are bikers. Bikers love to give. And that's just a fact. And when he contacted me, when Donovan contacted me and told me that he wanted to do this and had scoured and, you know, and, and I, I'm always amazed at how people find me because we didn't know each other from Adam. Your name is Adam. <laughs> we honestly did not know each other at all. And when he reached out and we had a conversation, it was just a really, uh, it was really easy. There's nothing I love to do more than anything is to talk about this and to bring people and to educate people on this, just to, even if it means educating them on if you see a service dog, be respectful. I don't, you know, be respectful of its handler, but then also not sugarcoating that this is not a pet and the hours and hours and hours of time that goes into this. But we are a little bit different in the sense that our veterans and dogs train together. They, it helps build the bond. They are going to, you're, you're not going to see perfection immediately. I think that I love being transparent about, you know, the things that haven't worked and what has worked. And I think that when people want to support a nonprofit, they want to know that, guess what, what you're seeing is not perfection. You can go on Facebook, you can go on Instagram, you can see all this perfection out there while I like to show all this stuff. Because Mm -hmm. then people know that where their efforts are going is not perfection immediately. Mm -hmm. And it's supporting two demographics. And I think Donovan and his crew really they they liked that. And then they asked, hey, can we come watch? And I'm like, hell yeah, come watch, come see them because then it's real. So Mm -hmm. we invited them up to the nest, the Eagles Healing Nest, which is a partnership Mm -hmm. that, oh gosh, I think we have seven active teens right now that have come out of the nest, along with a veteran at the nest that fostered for us, which is a really cool story. And Melanie um, Butler, who founded and has been running the nest for a very, very long time, allows us to come up there and utilize her space to train. So she and I have developed a wonderful relationship. She houses veterans anywhere from 80 to 100 at a time that mm-hmm. have been 
homeless, they're in transition, they're getting out of um, treatment of sorts, they're moving here from other states to try and get established. She and I have, we've partnered because she has veterans there that can benefit from this, from this program. So I said, Donovan, come up. And he brought up a huge, you know, a huge group of his people, including Samantha, up to see it. So they got to watch training first. They got to talk to the veterans, like ask them questions. They're going to, there's nobody that loves to talk about their dog more than their, than their handler. Oh, I can imagine. They're proud of it. They're Mm -hmm. proud of the efforts. They're proud of the fact that they can have a conversation with somebody that they don't know that they would have never done because I have said, this is social pleasantries, dudes. Mm -hmm. You talk to these people that are supporting you because they don't better. The handlers don't, they don't pay for this service. Mm -hmm. People I know do people. I don't know pay for it. So mm-hmm. we honor that by saying, come watch anytime. Yeah. Come see anytime, ask questions anytime. That's super cool. Yeah. We, we actually, my wife and I will be going on a motorcycle ride. We've been up to the Eagles healing nest before we've been on rides that benefit wow. the Eagles healing nest. And, and we were just up there. I, I believe, I don't know. I can't remember. It may have been last year, may have been the year before, but we've been up there before and, and uh, yeah, it's an incredible organization and, and, know. you know, and the fact that you guys have been able, you and Mel have been able to partner in, in doing this and, and what you're doing for the veterans is incredible. Um, you know, I, I greatly appreciate so that. She has been, she's like my soul sister. And when things are just overloaded and stuff, she's my voice of reason. And um, so I'm very, very grateful. Yeah, no, that's not just the space, the veterans, but for, um, just for her, her friendship and her mm-hmm. willingness to thicken my skin, if you will. Mm-hmm. She, she's had to do that. She's had to sure. thicken that skin. Sure. I'm very grateful. Yeah. And that's not an easy road at all. I mean, there's, there's so much that goes into that. And, so many and yep. And for these, you know, for the veterans that, uh, uh, that have, have done so much and given so much and sacrificed so much and, and lost parts of themselves on the battlefield, both mentally and physically. And, and just, just being able to give back to them and, and being able to, to do these great things to make them feel whole again. And it's incredible what you're doing, Patty. And, and uh, you know, I'm incredibly grateful for it. And I know there's a lot of people out there that, uh, that, that are incredibly grateful for, for, for folks like yourself that are, are doing these great things and and the fact that you've tied your love to animals you know or love with with animals and 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 your love for the military and our veterans and and our country the fact that you've been able to tie that all together into a package and 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 do a lot of good with that like i talk about on the d-rate eight podcast all the time i always ask people what have you done today to make your life a better life what have you done today to make the world a better place it is so incredibly important that people find that passion that they have and turn it into a way to not only make your life better as an individual, but in turn, it makes the world a better place. And, and there's just way too many people out there that, that aren't doing that. You know, they'll, they'll look at something and they'll just sit around and they'll either complain about it or they, they uh, you know, complain about other people. They just don't take that passion that's within them. They don't look for the things within them and 
take it to a point of fruition, take it to, to a level that you're actually doing good for the world. And what you're doing is absolutely awesome, Patty. And I, and I want to thank you personally for that. That's, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. I think that if, if you just step outside of your comfort zone and it, it can be once a month, it can be once a year doing something, whether it's monetarily with, you know, financially supporting someone or volunteering with something, I tell you, it's, it's science and it's chemicals and it, it, it improves your well-being by simply um, stepping out of your comfort zone and seeing because it's addicting. Mm-hmm. It really is. When you see the improvement and we're starting to bring veterans that don't need a dog, they don't need a dog, but they want to help one of their fellow veterans by fostering for them. And we have that process going on right now where we had a veteran that took a young dog that was potential worked incredibly hard to get that dog up to par to pair with a veteran that lost his leg where the whole beginning part of our process would have been such a challenge for Eric, um, where we, we eliminated that part, but it was a veteran prior to it. It was um, a couple of our other veterans, but we moved, we moved that dog along and it ended up his last foster was, was a veteran. And it was really, really cool to see him hand that dog off to a fellow veteran and mm-hmm. know that he, he partook in something that was going to change that life. And um, that is our goal. We also have the desire to look at, um, we all know what's going on in, in, in all around the country and in Minneapolis, it's, it's, it's so prevalent and that is the issues with law enforcement or what people perceive are the issues with law enforcement. We can always do better in process. There's no doubt we can always look at current process. I'm, I'm 100% understand that having to shift myself. So can we do better? Sure. But my personal opinion is that when you want to revamp law enforcement and, and the way things work, they're not looking at the big picture. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is looking at how our first responders being failed as they are doing their job. Mm-hmm. Veterans work, you know, when they've been deployed and they've had maybe even multiple deployments. Yes, that was, that was trauma that was so difficult to handle. And then they came home and were debriefed. And it's not a perfect science for them coming back by any means. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of room for improvement. Hence why, you know, people like myself and Mal do what we do. But with law enforcement, I've really learned that that is something day in and day out. And I don't think it's people are really quick to judge police officers and their actions mm-hmm. without having any understanding of the day-to-day grind that gets them there and the lack of processes that support them. So if you want to fix law enforcement, you need to actually look at the systems failed and improve that. And that's the other piece that I want to do with the dogs is finding a way into that system to help along with working with prisons to foster our dogs. Mm -hmm. So what a better way to bridge police reform than having inmates fostering dogs and having having recipients of dogs that are police officers to all come together and say, hey, we got to fix some things. 
and let's bring the two sides together and do it. It's always a commonality, the dog, every time. That's awesome. Every well, single time. I think you're on the right track. I think you're doing awesome things. And, <laughs> I and hope I, so. Yeah, I just love it. I, I love it. I, you know, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast so much is, is because of the opportunity I get. I learned a lot here today. I learned a lot about about the process of the, the service dogs. I, I, you know, one of the things, like I said, I, I just love getting to meet people like yourself, Patty, who are, who are actually out there doing great things to, to better the world. You've got a mission, you've got a, you've got a goal, you've got a calling and, uh, and you've taken it, uh, taken it to, to fruition. You know, you're, you're making things happen and, uh, and making lives better and in turn making the world better. So, I definitely want to thank you for that. I thank you for uh, for joining me on the Derate the Hate podcast, and I look forward to hearing and seeing more about what you're doing and what you've got coming up. Are you going to be on that ride? That's the plan. That's the plan. We plan to be there on the 24th down there in, in Lakeville. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, then you'll get to meet one of our teams, so they'll be there. <laughs> That'll be awesome as well. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. Friends, another great conversation with a great guest. I, I got to tell you, I, I hope you like hearing about things like Project Delta as much as I do. Getting to meet people like Patty is certainly one of the highlights of getting to do this podcast. I just love the passion people have for, for the things that they're doing. When they're out there taking, taking their passion, turning it into a mission, turning it in or taking their calling and, and turning it into something to better the world like Patty is with Project Delta. Obviously, combining that with the support of our, our military veterans, our first responders, firemen, uh, police, EMTs, things like that, such an incredibly, incredibly important thing that we have to do for uh, just, just for bettering the world, bettering our society. People like Patty are a true treasure in this world, and, and it's certainly a pleasure and, and something I'm incredibly grateful for when I get an opportunity to speak with them. So check out her website, check out that organization, project-delta.org. I'll certainly have links to that in the show notes. Um, there's obviously going to be links to getting involved with the the ride that's coming up here in the state of Minnesota. Obviously, I know we're listening to around the world, so not practical for everybody to attend that ride on July 24th here in the state of Minnesota, but you can certainly check out the website, find out more about Patty's organization, project-delta.org. And again, like I said, you can find that in our show notes. Just look right there on our website, deratethehate.com. Get out there, wherever you're at, wherever you're at in the world, get out there, be kind to one another, be grateful for everything that you've got. And remember, it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. I am Wilk. Email me, wilk at wilksworld.com. Find us on any platform. Pretty much all platforms now have the D-Rate the Hate podcast. Find us, subscribe, leave us some feedback. Check us out on social media. Follow us there too. But with that, I am going to back on out of here and we will catch you next week.